You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. This is our Facebook Live. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. All right, we have a question for you guys. As you can see, we've got one of us rocking the latest fashion in headphones and one of us without headphones. Now, I have a personal fetish for wearing the headphones because it creates a really intimate vibe between the two of us. That's right. Uh, but a one Mrs. Bilyeu is utterly convinced that we shouldn't be wearing headphones. So we decided that we're going to go half and half today because we need your feedback. So let us know what you think. Should we wear the headphones? Do we not wear the headphones? How does it look? How there does it, it make you feel? Yeah. Especially if you're watching this. That's, what, that's really yeah, what we want. That's all we care yeah. about. Because if you can't, if you're just listening on the podcast and you don't actually see anything, it probably doesn't matter. doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, so we want to know. All right, so have a think on that. Drop it in the comments. We'll be tallying it up at the end. Uh, we'll try to remember to ask it a couple more times as we know that the audience tends to cycle through. Yep. And uh, so we'll get that answer and definitively know which way to bounce. All right. Nice. This is, oh, by the way, we're going over Chase Jarvis. I hope you guys have seen this episode. Our man, you will notice that we've also put that up. By the way, that looks great. Well played. So yeah. I'll assume that was Lisa. Yep. All right, well done, baby. Well done. All right, and I think at this point, I can migrate over to this camera. So um, yeah, we are going over the Chase Jarvis episode. The creator of Creative Live really, really had a good time with this episode. Um, I think in terms of like that eternal question of how do you find your path? Do you follow your path? How do you shuck off sort of the, the yoke of parental expectations, societal right. expectations? He's a pretty amazing case study. He is. The episode is called The Dangers of Playing It Safe, and we'll get into why it's titled that. Nice. Um, we'll drop a link in the comments. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely do that. You will not want to miss this one. It's great. Um, and we got an activation today. We want to we talk to you about helping us grow our community if you're finding value in this content. And so we're going to give away a three-month Audible subscription. Nice. Yes, this is a big one. So three-month Audible subscription, here's what you need to do, and we will put these steps in the comments. You need to post on Facebook about Impact Theory. You need to tag Tom Bilyeu and Impact Theory. You need to share the link to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Tom Bilyeu. And you need to send us a screenshot that you did it at connect at impacttheory.com. Nice. We'll put those steps in the comments. Do that. We'll go for a couple days, and then we will choose a winner for a three-month Audible gift card. And as always, thank you for watching this, and thank you for sharing with your friends and family and strangers. Uh, we appreciate all your help, and we are trying to grow this community, so that's why we ask for these types of favors. Nice. Share, share, share. Cool. cool. All right. A um, couple of YouTube comments I just want to pop in here. So Let's do it. First one is from Simrita Dillon. She says, as a creative person myself, it's so amazing to hear the importance of creativity as a core value. Besides, the visualization technique of smelling the grass and using all the senses is so powerful. Took away so much from this episode. As always, thank you for your awesomeness. Nice. Thank you, Simrita. Yeah, no kidding. For your awesomeness. Um, I actually want to start this after impact with the end of the episode okay chase jarvis so he says that learning is now the new master paradigm it's the first time the world 
it's the first time in the world that the safe thing is also the riskiest thing. So I want to get your thoughts on that quote, because in this moment, he's talking about the state of education and how he thinks it needs to change. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the state of education and the way the professional world is going. Yeah. So, you know, this really started getting on my radar um, at the early days of Quest Nutrition as we were building that. And I was didn't matter what role you were applying for. If you were going for a job at Quest, you were going to interview with me. And that held true for the janitor all the way up to the SVP of global sales. And I don't care about resume. Right. So my thing was, I want to know if you're a good cultural fit. And this came back to John Wooden, who's like one of the most, if not the most winning basketball coach of all time, college basketball coach, yeah, coach UCLA. for UCLA. Yeah. yeah, just really, really insightful guy about how he said, I don't look for the best player. I look for the best fit for the team and that sense of team cohesion. And then that leads into what the Navy SEALs talk about, which is what they really look for is someone's ability to fall into group flow. So they're not necessarily looking for like the greatest leaders in the world because you need to be able to lead, you need to be able to follow, and you need to be able to do both seamlessly. Yeah. So there are times where you need to be the leader and there are times where you need to follow and the chaos of battle just mandates that. And so like thinking through all of those notions and what it really means to be prepared for working in today's world, like that causes you to really start asking questions, like put things in context. And when you put our current educational system in the context of it came up around the industrial revolution when what you really needed to crank out were really good um, line workers. You needed yeah. people that could put their head down, um, get the work done, not get um, fed up. They were used to following authority. They were used to doing mundane, repetitive tasks. It was all about just showing up on time. And it was just very, very different than today where we're going to be able to automate much of that away. So we're, we literally have an education system that is designed to create the type of worker that we can now automate. So that's a dangerous game from um, Jay Samet, who's also been on the show, but his episode hasn't released yet. No, it hasn't. So one of the things that Jay talked about was um, his mission in life is to preserve the middle class. And that without the middle class, like everything falls apart yeah. and you just continue to see that dichotomy between the haves and the have nots. And he said, so really, really globally thinking about the middle class is critical. And I think one of the ways that we do that is understanding that we're going to automate away many of the jobs that currently make up the middle class. And so what becomes that skill, that ability that we can teach that's going to make that up? And I think the real answer is creativity. And so, and I'll, I don't necessarily mean painting. I mean, that's one way that creativity can um, manifest itself, but really I'm talking about problem solving. And if you look at, if you've heard any of the stuff that Elon Musk is talking about with the school that he's created for his own kids, it's really all, it all revolves around that, around problem solving. Yeah. And so getting people to start thinking about what is an educational system that is built around problem solving, what does that look like? Uh, and so I think that, you know, Chase's point is essentially that if you're doing what people have been doing for the last couple of generations, which is, you know, go through your K through 12, go to college, get a degree, get a safe job, stay in that job. Like that paradigm just doesn't make sense anymore because the stability of a line worker where you have this product that you sort of stamp out over and over and over and over and over for 40 years and you sort of make your way up, you know, with your sort of 5% increase year over year, 
that goes away. And it goes away because it gets automated. It goes away because most of the, um, not most of, but a huge thing that we're doing now is obviously technologically based that we're living in exponential times. So um, technology is changing so fast that the world changes so fast that more than ever, we have to tap into um, you know, the Darwinian notion that humans have become the apex predator because we're the greatest at adapting. And yeah. that adaptation needs to be the thing that we begin to train and teach. And so, you know, as somebody who really took to that notion of being a good employee, keep my head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs, I was very good at that. Um, and then having to break out of that to be successful in today's world, it's like I have a very keen understanding of how the system, as we're teaching it, is about getting people comfortable with obeying authority rather than pushing back against things that don't make sense, um, that there's a, a scarcity of... God, how to explain this? Jay Samet does a much better job of explaining this, and I'm totally plagiarizing him right now. But one of the things he said Sorry, is, "We won't tell him." Thank, well, yeah. we may have to. Okay. But uh, but one of the one of the things that um, he talks about is how um, oh God, where was I going with that? Jay's notion. Oh, that's all right. I wanted ooh. to add to what you're saying, so I Please. would venture to say that part of it too is that. Um, you know, with, with the internet uh, in the last decade or last two decades becoming so much part of people's lives and all of the barriers to entry being removed, not only for business, but for creators, that a lot of what people are looking for in today's uh, labor force is what have you done? What have you built? What have you created? Right. It's not so much about like, what are the degrees you have or the things on paper, but show me what you've done because there is access to this now, like anyone can go out and, and do things and put something up or create an app or start something right. on the internet. And so it's about like, have you taken the initiative because all these tools are available to you now? No question. Yeah, that's super important. All right. Um, Chase Jarvis had a near death experience. Yeah. Which he talks about in the episode, which if you haven't seen, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's a really um, terrifying story, but very interesting in the way that it reframed his perspective on life. So I wanted to ask, why do you think people have such a change in perspective and mindset with near-death experiences? And then is there any way for people to recreate that moment in a safe way? Well, um, so why do I think that they have that shift? I think that anything that is that emotionally heightened is going to force a change of perspective. Um, and I bet if you could see the impact that it has on just neurological hardwiring that you would actually see it. And then I'm going to guess that something that just like with trauma, just like with PTSD, it only takes one car accident, right? To burn something into your nervous system, a certain setup, a certain way that people are, um, people that have been involved in terrorist attacks have the same thing. It just yeah. takes that one event that's big enough that your whole system rewires accordingly. And so I think that is a huge part of why a near-death experience is so profound. What's interesting about near-death experiences is how for some people it becomes incredibly traumatic and it has more of a PTSD resonance. Yeah. And for some people it becomes transcendent and it has much more um, like a, a psychedelic experience. You know, and this is something that Jamie Wheel and I talked a lot about. If you haven't seen that episode, definitely check it out. And I think that it, it comes down to rewiring. And it may also, like if I had to prognosticate, I'm going to get myself into danger here because I'm very much outside of what I actually understand, but I understand enough of the other stuff that I'm going to make a leap. This is purely a hypothesis. Okay. My gut instinct is that if you have a near-death experience that doesn't um, entail uh, 
some sort of deprivation to the brain, whether it's oxygen, um, oh God, sensory deprivation. I'm really at the edge here. So I'll just stick with oxygen because this is the one that makes the most sense. Okay. If you have, if you deprive your brain of oxygen, they say you will go through a euphoric state. Mm. And my gut instinct is if you get to that euphoric state before you cause real brain damage and then are pulled back, that those are the people that have something that feels like a psychedelic experience where it's like the sense of peace um, comes over you, the sense of like oneness and acceptance. And I believe it's the, um, the parietal lobe that shuts down and, and creates that sense of oneness and what's actually mm. shutting down. So just imagine it's, it is shutting down because you're robbing it of oxygen. And if you do that, so you can transcranial magnetic stimulation can shut down parts of the brain, oh. robbing it of oxygen will shut down parts of the brain. And usually these transcendent experiences, whether it's getting into flow, whether it's a psychedelic experience, whether it's, um, you know, my hypothesis about what's going on in a near death experience, excuse me, is that something is shutting down. Not that you're lighting more things up, so you're, you're shutting something off. So my guess is that oneness comes from shutting down the parietal lobe, so which controls navigation. So it, to navigate through the world, you have to know where your body stops and the next thing begins. When that shuts down, you literally, you don't get a, essentially what V.S. Ramachandran, also an episode, calls the null signal, right? right? So your skin gives you a null signal. So like if I pinch myself, you look at that, you know what it feels like, but you're not actually feeling it. But if you didn't have skin, you would actually feel it because your skin is saying, no, 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 that's not actually you. Without that null signal, and they know that from people that are amputees, without the null signal, you actually experience it, mm -hmm. uh, which is crazy. Yeah. So that's my guess that it's a part of the brain is shutting down. It creates this euphoric experience. You rewire because it's so big and so grand. Um, and for the people that it becomes traumatic, they don't, nothing shuts off. And so they're sort of recording and processing everything. It becomes very negative. Yeah. And for other people, they get to the point where something shuts down and it creates this euphoric state. Then they come back. So it has this added importance. Yeah. And Chase talks about that. He, you know, it really changes perspective, right? He was living this life of, he was a famous, um, a photographer for extreme sports. It was everything he wanted to be doing, um, working for all the biggest brands. And then he realized that he wasn't making true impact on the world. And he says that in the episode and that's what reframed his perspective on, um, what he was going to do next. And then he ended up going on and creating creative live. But what do you think people can do to try to like, I don't know, try to keep things in perspective on a day-to-day -day basis or try to look at the bigger picture or see like the long, you know, the long game. What, what are some daily practices people can do? Well, I think one is just self-reflecting on how you feel, right? And so what makes you feel alive? Yeah. And so I was in an environment where um, you got made fun of if you were like really focused on helping other people mm. and like culturally, right? Yeah. And but that was always true for me. And so finally, I was just like, well, I actually like that. And so just being a clever marketer isn't interesting to me. And I don't want to do that. Like, I really want to, um, I want to help people. And that just makes me feel good. Yeah. And yes, maybe that means that I won't ever be as sort of quote unquote successful as the next person because I'm not predatory. I remember somebody once said to me, you don't have a killer instinct. And the fact is, that's true. I don't. And I think in business, um, I think it does hold me back in some ways because I'm, I'm not trying to kill the competition or shut them down. Like that does not resonate with me. Uh, but once I finally owned, like it feels better. It just feels better to want to see other people win and cheer them on and to be excited for them. And, um, I like to believe that we live in a world now with social media where you can be rewarded for that, where the audience can really feel that I actually want something good for them. 
Um, so it comes back to that, you know, like looking inward and, and for Chase, I think it was just accepting that I want to help people on a bigger scale. I want to have grand impact because he could have had impact as a doctor, but like wanting to have bigger impact on a grander scale that being creative and helping people made him feel alive. And so when you have this sense that my time is really short, that you want to do that as, as quickly as possible. Yeah. And he talks about the process of um, critical thinking was mm -hmm. important to how he was able to um, understand what it, what he wanted to do in life. And he links that back to his uh, when he studied philosophy and get, that that was the tool that he was given through philosophy was critical thinking. So I want to get your thoughts on how you define critical thinking. Um, wow, that's interesting. So I've never taken the time to define critical thinking. So my favorite is to be asked questions that um, I have to think through in real time. Yeah. So here's my gut instinct. So as somebody who was very, very into philosophy and certainly in high school doing Lincoln-Douglas debate and that forcing you to be able to see both sides of the issue, um, that really, to me, is is the how I'll define critical thinking, is the ability to take two ideas that are opposing, rub them together, get that friction, and then from that find what is true, what is useful, um, and not being dogmatic. And so that's like dogma. I get why it happens. So dogma is, is just like, um, anything that you do to reduce your cognitive load, um, habits, um, driving to work the same way every time. Like these are all things. So you don't have to make decisions. Um, Steve jobs wearing the same outfit every day. These are things you do to reduce your cognitive load. The same is true of dogma. It worked. And therefore I just make it like, that's how I do it because I got a good result one time and not having to like reinvent that process or rethink through it is feels awesome because you just, it's one less thing that you have to think through, but then it really does get dangerous over time because the world is moving and you're no longer adapting. So I'll say critical thinking is really the ability to hold two opposing ideas, to look at what's useful, what's helpful, um, and, and choose in a dynamic way based on that and not, not get overly concrete on one thing. Nice. I like that. I want to remind everyone we are on Facebook live. Welcome. We're doing after impact. This is a show where Tom and I go deep into the episode that just launched this week, which is Chase Jarvis. Our boy. Episode is called The Dangers of Playing It Safe. If you don't know about Chase, he is a very, he's multi-talented photographer, director. Um, he's a creator. He's the founder of Creative Live, which is an awesome organization that um, its mission is really just to help people be more creative in their mm -hmm. lives, whether professionally or personally. Yeah. Um, and well, we want to know what you guys think. Uh, you'll notice that Agent Smith over there is wearing headphones, and I am not. Um, and I'm going to say that you're going to have to really hate the headphones um, for them not to be worn because there is, I feel more connected to you, the audience, the audience, when I wear the headphones because there's something about the way that it closes down the universe. Um, I don't know how you feel, but we want to know what you guys think. How do you feel about not wearing the headphones but talking to me wearing the headphones? I don't even weird? notice. Okay. Not weird at all for cool. me. But um, what is weird is there's something falling over here, which is why I keep looking at it. Oh, oh there it goes. There. Uh, <laughs> the world just got a little darker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just it, it makes me feel like we're in a cocoon, which makes me feel more connected to the audience. like it. Um, want to remind everyone, too, if you are willing to share and give Impact Theory, the YouTube channel, sorry, Tom Billy YouTube channel, but which houses Impact Theory, some love on Facebook, we will enter you to win a three-month Audible subscription. Um, you can find the rules to this contest in the comments of this Facebook Live. So check that out. And then I want to kick it over to a comment or a question, rather, that we have on Facebook. Nice. So... 
this is from Carrie. She says, great interview, Tom and Chase. You guys seem like brothers from another mother. Really enjoyed it. You briefly talked about Stephen Kotler's latest book, Stealing Fire. Two hours before you recommended his book, another person had recommended, recommended it. What were your key takeaways from the book? <clears throat> and will you be doing a special video about stealing fire? Which we've so done? yeah, hey, the lights back. <clears throat> um, so uh, we did do a book review on stealing fire. So be sure to check that out. Uh, my key takeaway from the book is that there are really three ways to access the brain state of flow. So I had read The Rise of Superman, which really sort of kicked that off for Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. Uh, they then founded the Flow Genome Project to try to figure out what does that look like from a neurochemical standpoint. And they found that there really were um, between whether it was a, a monk in a you know very, very experienced monk in a deep meditative state or whether it was um, an extreme athlete, whether it was uh, somebody on a psychedelic trip, that they looked very similar from a brain chemistry standpoint. And as we were talking about earlier, a lot of it marked by things shutting off rather than things turning on, mm. which I really found very, very interesting. So this concept that there are three doors to get to that state, and it really comes down to your tolerance for risk uh, and the time frame. So if you have very low tolerance for risk and a lot of time, then meditating, uh, which can take decades to really get into a true flow state. Yeah. Um, if you have a high tolerance for risk and very little time, then extreme sports because the high stakes um, that it takes can get you into flow. Gaining mastery, though, on that is pretty critical. So yeah. that one may be a longer time frame as well. If you have a higher tolerance for risk and absolutely no time, so let's say PTSD and you're literally contemplating suicide, then psychedelics might be the way for you to access flow. So I, I just thought it was really, really interesting. And they really go deep into the, the science and what the current state of our understanding of um, what they call non-ordinary states of consciousness, because flow is really only one of the three um, gateways to a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Right. So that was my key takeaway. Awesome. Here's a YouTube comment from uh, Con Artist is the nice. username. Uh, I like what Chase had to say about meditation and questioning that type A personality. I really love his visuals about projecting his own goals for himself and others. Us too. We like that there too. There it is. No question. All right. Uh, let's do another Facebook question. This is from... Oh, actually, check in on the headphone debate. Ooh, here we go. So one person says, yes, headphones. Okay. Six people say, no headphones. Oh, wow. And two people say, whatever works. Right. So, okay. Wow, that's that's pretty strong, though, for the no headphones. It is. I might just take mine off. You might have right to. Right now. All right. Why don't you do that? And then we're, we're five of the six, though, Lisa, like in different uh, guises. I don't know. That's, that's my we big need, fear. We need an independent committee to uh, study this election here. All right. So here we are, no headphones. All right. All right. No headphones. Um, this is from Dan Bro Fitness. He says, I'm a creature of habit, always have been from my golf days where I found it easy to get into flow. I know... Uh, I now have this with the gym. What I struggle with is getting into flow and creating habits with work. What's the best way to create, a, uh, create habits, dive into flow, and stop procrastinating? Wow, you've got like six different questions in there. Um, so stop procrastinating for me. That's an easy one. It goes back to identity. I won't uh, derail us on a whole thing about identity, but that one, that that's like manual, right? So, and by manual, I mean you give yourself a certain amount of time and then you have to take action. So if that's like I can space out for five minutes and never more, okay, well, great. Now you know. So uh, you, if you've been talking to your friends for five minutes, boom, clicks, guys, I have to get back to work. Uh, for me, getting into flow is all about limiting my distractions. So I like to headphone up. 
up, man. That is my like gateway to, it, it at least is the first requirement to get into flow. Like if yeah. I don't have headphones on and there are people around me, the chances of me getting into flow are virtually zero. Agreed. Um, so I put on headphones, I use film scores, which I find, uh, you'll find over time ones that really just like draw you in. Um, so I almost always start with the song, I think it's called Time from, um, I think it's Inception. Oh. I think. I'll have to double check this. It's definitely called Time, uh, which is a recommendation. The soundtrack being really ominous in Inception. Or maybe that's yeah. a Dark Knight. Maybe I'm confused. Well, Dark Knight is like upbeat, adrenaline, and definitely dark. Um, Inception, I found mournful mm. might be the word. And oddly enough, that is something that pulls me into creative flow very, very yeah. fast, which is why I like rainy days wind, cold weather, I like to be warm in spite of it, but having all that going on outside makes me feel intensely creative. Um, so yeah, headphones, music without lyrics, draws me in. Nice. Uh, there was one more question in there, but I forget what it was. Uh, stop procrastinating, which I think I is identity. That first, yeah. You did, okay. Um, and I apologize, by the way, my allergies are like off the charts, so I'm trying not to snook a lot, as my mother would yeah. say. Snook, um, what's yeah. snooking exactly? Like sniffing really hard. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like my mom, that. my mom made up work. a lot of words. I'm a little nasally too today, so this is going to be a fun one for our yeah, podcast good listeners. Times. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, this one. All right, so from the episode, Chase, this this really struck me. He says you have to write your own script, or someone else will surely write it for you. Not only was this an amazing, profound statement, but it um, harkened back to last week's episode with Wesley Chapman, where mm. he said um, you have to, you know, write your own story. Don't, don't live someone else's story essentially. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, on Chase's idea, what you think that means. How should people do that? Writing your own script. Yeah. So he really is the perfect example of this. He was doing all the things he thought he was supposed to do. Um, he was the captain of the, he said football, but I think he meant soccer since he almost played professional soccer. Um, and then it was, I'm going to be a doctor. And then it was, okay, well, I'll get my doctorate. Um, and just, yeah, yeah, like always trying to do the thing that he thought his parents and society would want of him, but it wasn't making him feel his most alive. And that in the back of his mind was always this notion of, I really want to be creative. And so finally he found his path to that after abandoning professional soccer, being a doctor and then getting his doctorate and said, I don't know if this can be a business or not, but I know that it makes me feel good. And I know that it makes me feel alive and creative and all the things that I want to feel. Um, and so just had the, the guts to trust his gut. And that is he's something he talked a lot about is really learning to hear you and hear your intuition to follow it. And the thing that I really hope people see is also find a way to monetize it. And Chase has been very successful. And that's what frustrates me is if, if parents could understand that there is a way to monetize virtually everything. So video games is my go-to because when I was growing up, people could not fathom that you could ever make a living playing video games or being a part of the video game industry and now video games is a more dominant um, entertainment platform than film and TV. So it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's knowing what you love and figuring out a way to monetize that. And there are so many random ways to make a living doing something that... Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting. Like, where do people start? Because, like, Chase was obviously able to take photography to a very high level professionally before he even started Creative Live. And I feel like people, a lot of people fall into one of two categories. You either become the starving artist, you're doing what 
So the people who find what they're passionate about mm. become the starving artist where they're just doing their passion and they can never take it to that next level where it can be professional worth providing financial stability or whatever it is they need in their life. Or it just stays in the hobby zone forever. So you have your one job, and but what you really love is what you do at night or right. in the early mornings. How do you get it to a place that is monetizable or a place that can provide you that foundation that you're looking for? You ready for this? Yeah. I really want people to hear this. <sighs> Scoot in closer to your computer right now. <laughs> Put your headphones on a little bit tighter. If you're driving, I want you to pull over. Get great. Get so good they can't ignore you. There is no substitute for that. Actually developing a skill to where you are so unbelievably good that people want to work with you. They want your work, that you are pushing that thing forward. If you're a writer, that it is truly jaw-dropping insights that make people understand what it means to be alive and be a human. If it's copywriting, that it's really understanding psychology so that you can um, sell product in a way that nobody else can. If it's being a photographer, it's about learning the technical side and the artistry and being able to push the art form forward. If it's teaching, it's really understanding how to have mass impact on your students, understanding the difficulties that they're in, understanding the dynamics between home life and school life and administrative life and understanding all of that. If it's um, God, being a pilot, I mean, whatever, like all of this stuff. Uh, there was a, um, a fighter pilot that built um, like his own, um, oh God, what are those things called? A simulator. And it's like really just taking the time so that if, uh, it, oh, this is a great story about that pilot. I wish I could remember his name. He wanted to be a Top Gun and he was considered the last American ace, meaning he got more than three um, kills in combat. And he was considered one of the worst pilots in his class. And mm. so he built in his bathtub like a simulator because he, he had a really hard time when the pressure rose. He had a hard time staying aware of his instrumentation. And so he just had to practice and practice and practice and practice. It's always those people that like, they oftentimes start out like they have this combination of I'm really bad and that makes me feel really badly about myself. Yeah. And then two, I'm willing to do an inhuman amount of effort to feel good about myself. And so this is my thing, and I'm just going to do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then people will eventually dismiss you as being naturally talented, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and like that is, and when I think about the number of hours that I've spent just trying, like today, do you know how I will punish myself for the fact that I couldn't remember what I was going to say about Jay Samet? How like, will you punish yourself? So I'm, and all like tongue in cheek jokes aside, I, later I will really think about it. I will think about, okay, wait a second, like this is important to you. So where are your opportunities to practice? Like when you were talking, I set half of my brain to listening to you and the other half to trying to like catch back up to where it was because I need to do that. I need to take those moments to practice to like really be able to do that because that's something that I struggle with. And so now when people say like, oh, Tom, you have such a good memory, I'm, A, that's just hysterical to me because... <laughs> I use a totally different strategy, which is to try to learn so many things grouped in themes that I only have to remember 10% to make it seem like I know an overwhelming amount about <laughs> a subject. Um, but that's, you know, it's strategy, it's practice, it's um, realizing never treat anything like performance, always like practice. Um, but it's, 
it's working so hard at something for so long that you get so good that people just assume you're naturally talented. Like that's it. That's the key. And somewhere in all of that, constantly checking against the market, is the market saying this is valuable? Yes or no. And if the market is saying that it's valuable, you keep doing it and keep pushing and getting better. And if the market says it is not valuable, then you pivot and do something else. So I will tell you, I wasn't sure. There was a brief moment in my life where I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a filmmaker or a poet. Do you know how I decided? No. No one makes money as a poet. This is true. It's not monetizable. Nope. So I just thought, there you go. But it is the same. Like once people understand that the same thing that makes me love being a poet is the same thing that makes me love filmmaking. That's like the degree to which you can pivot and still find that thing that makes you feel alive. That thing that like poetry is driven by insight. Poetry is driven by rhythm. Like if I had been really smart, Maybe I would have been a rapper because that's maybe the most direct expression of poetry in a modern context where you sure. can actually monetize it. Um, but I wasn't, although I did, I, I made a rap album. What? Yes. When I Come was on. like 10 years old. Oh. And it was called Teacher's Pet. Nice. Yeah. And it was about the kids I think in the I classroom. I see where that is going based on what I know about you as a student. Really? Yeah. Do tell. Well, so you're not the class clown, but you're the one always testing authority a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Teacher's pet is definitely tongue-in-cheek because I don't think you were the teacher's pet. Well, so some teachers loved me and some hated me. So it it came down to how you responded to my personality. I I will say I got through high school largely on charm. Okay. So, But it wasn't necessarily me saying I was the teacher's pet. It was just that was like the coolest phrase that I knew that had to do with school. So (laughs) Nice. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors 
has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, there's an unspoken part of what you were just talking about and how in, in, in getting good or getting great at your craft or your passion, and that is um, you need to also tell people about it and you need to talk to people and get feedback. And I want to get your thoughts on that because you can't just do something in a vacuum. Yeah. You have to actually show it to people. Real artistship. There you go. Right. That was Steve Jobs whole thing. Real artistship. And at some point you just have to put it out in the world and see if it's any good. And you know, one thing that I'm actually really proud of here at impact theory that we haven't fallen prey to is waiting until it's perfect. Right. Yeah. It's just like momentum matters. Moment. In fact, we're going to make that a t-shirt momentum matters. That's a good one. If anybody out there has a design, submit it. Momentum matters. Going to turn it into a t-shirt way for you to make money, way for us to make money. But momentum matters. Like that's something that's really, really important. And we focus on that here. And we know that like, look, maybe it won't be perfect. Maybe in fact, it'd be downright ugly, but it'll be a way for us to see like what part of it resonates. Like when I think back to the first episode of Startup Theory, yikes. Like yeah. that was pretty rough, but we did it. And hey, awesome. We learned something. And now like the format is morphed into something totally different because I honestly like I told everybody, oh, gather around. We've got this idea for this amazing show, Startup Theory. It is going to be our best performing piece of content. You remember me saying that? I did. And it is our worst performing piece of yeah. content. So that's the market, right? The market is saying, eh, like sure, but it's not like a standout. So Agent Smith here came up with a brilliant idea, which I think is really, really smart. And so now that's how we're pursuing it. Um, So I think the other part of um, not waiting until it's perfect is iterate always. So we're always changing it. So if you've been following us since day one, you've noticed that there have been sometimes subtle, but sometimes dramatic shifts in the way that we produce our content, the way that we distribute our content, things on the website. Like we're always trying to make something a little bit better or scrap it and pivot and go in a different direction. Yeah. So. With, without um, feeling distressed or mm-hmm. having our egos hurt, it's just listening to the market, adjusting, making magic happen. Definitely. All right, let's kick it over to Facebook. Here's a question from Shakar Dewan. Hi, Tom, Chase, athletes, and Napoleon Hill. Uh, sorry. Hi, Tom, Chase. Athletes in Napoleon Hill talk about visualizing the moment when you're receiving a prize, winning something, etc. Um, when I've tried it though, I find that I no longer want to put in the work moment to moment, but just fantasize that future because it seems so good and putting in the work doesn't. I often just have to stop thinking about the future and just focus on today. I can see it helping with fear and anxiety, but do you think it also takes away the motivation or is there a way around this problem? Okay. Shakar Dewan. Yes. A, your name is amazing. Um, and this is something that Ryan holiday talks about in his most recent book, ego is the enemy. And he Mm. said, people pacify themselves with the dream. Uh. And that hit me like a lightning bolt. People pacify themselves with the dream, dude. I think that's real. And I think Mm. people have to be so careful. I don't know that it necessarily um, makes, um, visualization as an overall technique um, not effective, and maybe it's only effective for some people. But Shakar, trust that dude because if it is pacifying you and you're spending so much time in the dream and happy about that, one, you see the visual- visualization works. It's so powerful, it's actually stopped you from acting <laughs> because it's so pleasurable. Yeah. 
But then B, if you really want to have impact on the world, you need to know like where that stops being useful and it starts being a pacifier. That is so like that is some next level shit, dude. So love that you put your finger on that. I think that that's incredibly, incredibly important. And I was just thinking about this today. So let me see if I can explain this. Not something I've tried to articulate. All right. So um, Lisa and I have made uh, a wonderful amount of money. It's amazing. Our house is like everything. That's actually not true. Our house is what most people would be very satisfied with, right? It's a big house, all that. And I was sitting on my bed today thinking, so we're going to be doing some um, remodeling. I don't know the best way to say it, basically painting new furniture. That's yeah. And so my wife and I are both like super unexcited to move out even for like a couple of weeks uh, because we love this place so much. And then I found myself thinking like, why hasn't this house made me want to sit back and chill? Like, why hasn't my level of success diminished my desire to push and go after something? And the answer is because I realized the thing that I love infinitely more than having nice things is pursuing something. Yeah. And so I am, you call me the king of moving the goalpost, right? So Do I call you that? I think you call he, yourself that and I nod. And yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. So I recognize I'm the king of moving the goalpost yep. and nobody disagrees with me. Um, and the reason that I do that is because it's the pursuit that I find thrilling. And yeah. so like always wanting to be chasing something bigger and bigger and bigger um, is, is the juice. And so Shakar, I would say that you know, that's something to tap into is whatever level of success you've had to be pushing for something bigger. And if visualizing actually receiving that award or accomplishment or whatever is diminishing that, then stay focused on like how, and, and for me, it's not a dark thing. It's like exciting. Like I'm, I love the pursuit, not the attainment. The actual pursuit is so thrilling to think, oh my God, I can get better. I can push it. I can yeah. dream bigger, accomplish more, affect more people. Like if you can really reinforce that in yourself and really fall in love with that process, then I think you'll keep going. And so I don't have any fear of um, like pacifying myself with the dream isn't something I worry about. Um, accomplishing so much that I want to stop isn't something that I worry about. It's just, you know, always what's that next thing? Nice. I want to remind everyone on Facebook Live, we are here talking about Chase, Chase Jarvis. Jarvis. Check the episode if you haven't. This is After Impact where we dive deep into the concepts and ideas uh, discussed in the episode. Um, gives Tom a little bit more chance to elaborate on some things. One of the things I really want to hear your thoughts on, Chase, you said you agreed with Chase that our culture is in need of more feminine energy right now, and that's going to be the next movement. Elaborate on that, please. Yeah, I mean, we're so we're living through a really exciting time right now where women are really um, finding their voice and are getting platforms to go out and speak out and being married to a woman that is so driven in her own right. And this was um, something that I had to live through was watching her go from in the beginning, she was a traditional housewife. She didn't work. She stayed at home. It was amazing. She used to set my clothes out for me like hashtag legit. Uh, so I would wake up, my clothes would be set out, like my lunch would be made. It was, it was amazing. And that's what we thought we both wanted and it was all good. And then I found myself like thinking, like, is this enough for her? She found herself asking the same question. And then it was really, um, at first she dove deep into her art and reignited that and started doing Which amazing is, art. Can I just say, I saw some drawings the other day. Oh my God. Yeah. They're so good. Like we gotta, we gotta share those with the community totally. at some point because she's a world-class artist. It's, man. 
It's so good. Part of me is a little heart, and I will get back to my main diatribe, but part of me is a little heartbroken that there isn't just enough time for her to do that and this at the same time because, oh my God, she's so good. So good. So good. So anyway, that was the first step. She reignited that like desire to create and bring something into the world. And then when she got... um, when you know we founded Quest and she was involved from day one and started helping build that, and then by the time she moved out of, she did fulfillment, which it, it is so hard to explain what it must have been like for her to go from full time housewife to running our fulfillment department. So you have to imagine all of a sudden your world, and it it happens slowly, right? How do you boil a frog? You raise the temperature yep. very slowly. So yep. it started with her on the you know living room floor, shipping one box at a time, but it ended with her in a warehouse all day, every day with a staff of like 40 people, forklifts, uh, pallets, pallet jacks. Like, I mean, that, that became her world. And I think we were doing like $84 million in revenue. And she like was somebody with no experience in that whatsoever, like going into that. Now that created a massive upheaval in our relationship because it went from, I had my clothes laid out for me. I had somebody making my meals to, I have a world-class employee who's like crushing it, but what happened to my wife? And so watching her really grow into a fully formed and developed business person was difficult and beautiful. And it was incredible. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm sort of the whiny, frustrated guy who has lost something that he valued, but put myself in her shoes for a minute and watch her blossom into something she never thought she could be and see her own that and get so good people couldn't ignore her and rise up and lead, not because she was my wife, but because she was the right person for the job. And to see like these six foot five, you know, 250 pound guys be intimidated by her because she doesn't take shit from anybody was unbelievable. And that to me, watching, like being surrounded by powerful women is probably the fastest way for guys to get really excited about what women are capable of and to see people like, yes, they can be a mother. Yes, they can be a housewife. And for those that like fall in love with it and that's what they want, like that is so rad. And there's nothing cooler than seeing somebody be fulfilled at whatever, right? And if that's staying at home, stay at home, dad, stay at home, mom, doesn't matter. Right. If, if they're really fulfilled, like that is a truly beautiful thing. But to see my wife decide that she wanted a different path and become that person and flex and grow and just watch human adaptation happen before my eyes. And, and in her family, she was always considered like the artist. Everybody else was like logistically minded and would have been a no brainer for any of them to step into that role. So to see her do that and train herself to get good and to shine just really showed me truly, truly. And I grew up with two powerful women. My mom and my sister are both just badasses. Um, but seeing her make that transition, it was just like, yeah, like whatever people think are sort of inherent differences between men and women, it's just all BS. So it's how do you express yourself? Yeah. Speaking of Lisa, she is launching a podcast with a very special someone. Yes. It's coming out soon. When is that coming out? I'm really tired of teasing people. I just want to tell them. I know. So it's going to be badass. I could not be more excited. And in fact, I'm going to guess that a lot of what she's going to talk about is going from housewife to badass businesswoman and that, you know, one of the things I feel that has made my own story useful to people is that I started as a really good employee. 
yeah. and not being an entrepreneur, not being self, um, not being a born entrepreneur, um, and having to self make myself into something else. She's really walked that same path. And she, you know, wasn't like ever going to be a career woman. Uh, we were going to have kids. She wanted to stay at home, not have to work. That made me super proud to be able to support my wife, to be able to stay at home. And then we just like, woof, you know, took a, a 180 and went in a completely different direction. And to see her turn herself into that has just been amazing. So yeah, to Chase's point, I think one, just seeing the um, how women can do anything that a man can do. Um, and then, I mean, I think Amelia Boone pretty much proves that even when you talk games of um, physicality, sure, is, is she gonna out bench press or out squat? No, that's, I mean, the nature of, um, you know, testosterone essentially. Right. But, I mean, with minor exceptions, anything that um, one can do, the other can do and vice versa. You know, if, if a guy wants to excel at things that are considered traditionally feminine, I think that they can do that just as well. So um, I think that's a paradigm people are really living through now. And then just feminine energy, what we'll call traditionally feminine energy of being inclusive, um, being more nurturing, being supportive, group oriented. Um, I do think the world will benefit from that. Nice. All right. Let's kick it back to Facebook for some questions. Here's one from Johan. He says, hi, Tom, I've been following you for more than a year. And wow. although having a 10 minute chat with you would feel like Christmas in March, I kind of feel like I just wouldn't have any specific questions for you. I have the weird feeling I have already, I already have the answers to my problems, but somehow I'm not taking enough action. What is the secret of taking action consistently? So identity, right? So I am the type of person that takes action consistently and then creating a routine that actually makes that happen. So um, if you have a traditional nine to five, Johan, my high, high, high suggestion, start going to bed a half an hour or an hour earlier, which means you'll start waking up a half an hour or an hour earlier and use that time to take concrete steps towards your goals. So you're going to need to know what your goal is, but then every day, every day. And if that means you have to miss work, miss work, do not go to work until you've taken a concrete action towards your own um, dream, whatever that thing is you're trying to build. It doesn't have to be a huge action. It can be small. It could be making a phone call that you're afraid to make, writing an email that you've been holding off on, doing an outline um, you know, for whatever thing you're trying to create, writing down the steps that you're going to be taking, and then one by one, just every day, like chip away at them. Um, and just making that a part of your routine, that it's part of the habit loop of waking up. When I wake up, I do this. Um, and if you take that identity and marry it to a routine, it will happen. And you will be shocked what you can accomplish in a year. You'll be blown away by what you can do in three. It's just nuts. You just have to do it every single day and hold yourself to that standard. What do you think about um, like the, I think it's called the quantified self movement. Mm -hmm. So all the data trackers, all of our ability to see how productive we're being on a day-to-day -day basis. Do you ever get any of that? Do you ever like write down, okay, well, when you were starting out this many days, I woke up at this time, like I said I would. I don't do that, but um, as you know, my obsession is looking at the data and really making decisions based on it. Yeah. Um, so going into the analytics, making sure that you're aware of what's actually happening, quantifying the things you do, I think is really important. Because my habit loops serve me so well, I don't spend a lot of time looking back at those. I probably did that more, say, 10 years ago yeah. when I was first trying to like form these habits. Um, but, but do you now think someone should do that if they're just getting started on that journey? Yeah. I mean, that like, that is you coming up with that. It's very much me stealing your idea now. I think that's a great idea. Um, whatever you need to do to, um, 
to see like in a raw, unfiltered format, like I'm not doing what I said I would do. I'm not moving forward. Um, I think it'd be really critical. Data has a way of slapping you awake because you can feel like you're doing something when in reality you're not. And the data just makes it abundantly clear. There's an app, I think it's called Productive, that I've used before. I don't really use it anymore. But when I was trying to create a better morning routine, um, you put in all of these daily habits and you put which days you want to be doing them or how many days. And then you just go through and you just check them off every day. And then it tells you every week, like, okay, you hit this many times of waking up earlier, this many times of going to the gym or meditating, whatever it is. And then it gives you like, it's kind of gamified. Like it gives you points like, oh, you did three days in a row or you did five days in a row. It's pretty cool. So if you're into that thing, you might check it out. Um, I will fact check the title of the app and put it in the comments. Nice. Um, All right. This is a question I have from the episode. So Chase says that he talks about how he had to change his self-narrative from the aggressive sort of type A personality, Mm -hmm. um, which he relied upon for a lot of his success and drive into one that accommodated meditation. And you guys kind of connected on that. So my question really is, um, when should people know or how should they know to question their self-narrative <coughs> so they already have one in place that they're telling themselves themselves and you went through this with meditation as well when do you when do you look and say maybe this isn't serving me or maybe there's another part that i'm not considering um i, I try to do that a lot yeah. and this is all about results right so Um, uh, we've been really, really public about what we're trying to do here at Impact Theory, but what nobody realizes is how many, like two or three days a week, I spend 20 minutes going, is this really the right thing? Mm. Um, And like today, I actually had a breakthrough. I haven't shared it with the team, so I'll share it with the team first, but um, just thought, ooh, there's actually like, we're misstepping on this one thing. And so constantly reflecting back and saying, okay, this is my goal. Am I actually moving towards it or not? And that is so, so, so important. And then if I'm not, or I'm not moving as fast as I could, and in fact, this might be the best way to ask this question. If I had to accomplish, this is Peter Thiel. If I had to accomplish my 10-year plan in the next six months, what would I have to do? And that really forces you to think in a totally new way. Um, And if you start asking yourself that question with a fair degree of frequency, you'll see ways that you can take real big steps forward. And I think that's pretty critical. I think people have to routinely self-assess. Nice. All right. This question is from William Mendoza. He says, hello, gentlemen. Hi, Will. Uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. He was actually he came by one day. William we Mendoza. Love some, uh, what's up, dude? Yeah, he says, uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on failure and how do you think we as a society should process it? So here's the problem with failure. Failure makes people feel badly about themselves because Not enough people are talking about how to build your self-esteem around something that's anti-fragile. So first of all, read the book Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. He talks about how things that are resilient or tough are still defined by their breaking point. They can take a lot of beating, but they do eventually break. Something that's anti-fragile actually grows stronger the more you attack it. So you need to build your self-esteem around something that's anti-fragile, meaning that if somebody calls you an idiot or moron or whatever, that that actually makes you stronger. So for instance, the one that I use, and I'm very open to somebody has a better one, but the one that I use is to stop thinking about myself as being smart. Uh, I don't pride myself on being right. I really pride myself though on identifying the right answer faster than somebody else on being willing to admit that I'm wrong. Um, those are things that are key drivers. So like for instance, very small example, but this was this kicking in when you said you gave me the perfect opportunity to take your idea. Most people wouldn't have noticed that you were actually feeding me a brilliant idea with this whole notion of productive, the app and all that. And I could have just been like, yeah, that's great. And it would have sounded like, oh, that's what I already do. 
but my identity forced me to say, well, that's your idea. And now I'm going to jump on it. I love it, but it was you. Right. And so that's useful for a whole host of reasons. But the reason that I do that is I'm proud of myself for not needing to co-op somebody's idea, for becoming the energy behind it, right? right? So I pride myself, whoa, that's a better idea than what I was gonna say, awesome, that was Agent Smith, I'm gonna take that, now I'm gonna be the energy. And so that's anti-fragile. So you could say, Tom, you steal ideas. I'd be like, yes, I do, like you better <laughs> believe it. And if you yeah. have some more for me to steal, like I'm gonna be giving credit whenever possibly I can. And so that, or Tom, you're really stupid. Oh my God, fantastic, tell me more. Where am I being stupid? Oh, you're being stupid in X, Y, and Z. Fantastic, now I know what to go target because like failure, the problem is people fail and they think that, oh God, I am a failure. I feel bad, I'm less. So now they're gonna try to put themselves in situations where they're not gonna fail and that's just... That it's not effective. Right. So meaning like look at Amazon, look at the way Jeff Bezos has built that company where he told shareholders, do not invest in this company if you're not, if you can't stomach a whole lot of failure. Because most of the things that we try, they're gonna fail. Yeah. And that's the nature of winning at the game that we wanna win at. So I think that people need to look at failure like that and be proud of yourself for having the guts to be willing to fail. Be proud of yourself for having the guts to fail publicly. So don't worry about whether that loss or that failure or whatever says something bad about you. It doesn't matter. It's other people will think less of you. That is true. They absolutely will think less of you. But what matters is what you think about yourself. And if you know that you come out the other side of that and that you figure it out and you learn and you keep going, then you're going to win. And the, only, the best revenge is unmitigated success. Right. The best revenge is unmitigated success. So it isn't obsessing over that person or wanting to rub their face in it. It's just be successful and don't even think about it. And that comes from pushing through failure, persevering, doing the hard work, getting so good they can't ignore you. Nice. Well, we got to start wrapping up here. I have one more question. But yep. before I do that, I just want to thank everyone for joining us on Facebook Live. Um, you can do this every Wednesday for After Impact, which is where Tom and I go deep into the episode of the week. Uh, Chase Jarvis, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you want to win a three-month Audible subscription, then share our YouTube channel, tag Tom, tag Impact Theory, send us a screenshot from your Facebook account uh, at connect at impacttheory.com. All of the rules for this contest are in the comments section, so go ahead and do that. We will enter you to win. My last question for you, Tom, is, um, and a lot of people are commenting about this, is the visualization practices that Chase uses. And we kind of touched on it, one of the rabbit holes you can potentially mm-hmm. go down, or the pitfalls, rather. Um, but you, you said that it really struck you how he uses um, words, so yeah. headlines. So I wanted to ask, have you incorporated, incorporated that into your visualization practice, and um, if there are any other practices that you use as well? Um, I am oddly enough, I'm really bad at visualizing things going well. Mm. Um, I don't know why I just, do you visualize the opposite things? Going uh, well, terribly? so now I'll just share something super random with you. In Tacoma, there's a lot of ditches. And when we would be driving, I was obsessed with BMX bikes. I yeah. would imagine, Rad. yes, yeah. I would imagine somebody doing backflips like, from one part of the, cause it'll go ditch, driveway, ditch, driveway, ditch, driveway. Uh-huh. That's just like to come in a nutshell. And I would imagine someone riding in the ditch, doing a backflip over the driveway, landing back in the ditch. And I, every time I imagined it, I imagined them crashing every single time. Right. 
And so half of my brain imagined them crashing and then the other half going. And I remember as a kid being like a little traumatized that I couldn't ever picture it just going well. Uh-huh. And that the, the harder I tried, the more I saw them crashing. So visualization has never been my specialty. Mm. So when he said the headline thing, because words are my jam. Yeah. When he said the headline thing, I thought, <gasps> like, I can do that. I can think of the words and the sentence structure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like what that, you know, um, I think the example I said in the episode was like Chase Jarvis wins an award for, you know, pushing cinematography forward or whatever. And um, he said, well, I don't really think about myself, but I think about all these bigger goals. And as I was like, wow, like that, just saying it as words would be really, really powerful for me. Now, I'd be lying if I said since hearing that, that I've been doing it. But when I re-listened to the episode, I thought I really do need to try Try that. So the catch is it isn't a big gap in my life. It's not something that I struggle, like dreaming big is not the thing I struggle with. Um, feeling like I can do it is not the thing that I struggle with. So because of that, there's no aching need for me to do it. Um, but it is like, if I were going to try to lean on visualization, I would do it his way. Like that awesome. was a, a pretty big breakthrough for me. Cool. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today is. for After Impact. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this Chase Jarvis episode of After Impact. Absolutely love doing these, and I'm so honored that these guys come on the show and share with us, and I am very, very honored that you guys show up and ask questions. It means a lot to us. If this content is adding value to you, please be sure to share it. I'm Should we being look told at this camera? we're, we're back camera. to the center camera. Yeah. All right, guys, so thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do so. This is a weekly show, and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Bye. Peace out. Oh, I'm supposed to pause before I hit stop. <laughs> Now I'll hit. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.